Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Man, was that awesome? That was great. Then you did a good job, and, uh, and it's, it's relevant in a, in a real way, because a lot of people have no idea what this day is all about. In fact, I grew up not having any idea what this was all about. In fact, I grew up, you know, thinking Easter was all about the Easter bunny and, and the eggs and all of that, and maybe some of you can identify with that, but I'm thankful that I was given the opportunity to know the real reason for Easter, and that, uh, that's why we're here this morning. Listen, we're, we're joining people across the globe on this day to celebrate the greatest day in the history of mankind, single-handedly, greatest day in the history of the world. I want to talk to you this morning about perspective. Some of you English majors all of a sudden went, huh? Did he say prospective or is it perspective? Which one did he mean? No, I meant prospective. Some of you have no idea what that means. It's okay because I'm going to tell you. Perspective. It's a viewpoint on something. Prospective is an expectation of something in the future. You see, we have to change our perspective in order to change our prospective. God wants to change your perspective this morning. He wants to change the way that you view the, the, the afterlife, the eternity, what happens to you, all of that. And it all starts right here on this day, on Resurrection Sunday. And so my goal is to help you gain some perspective so that your perspective can be changed. Easter, as, as you've heard, has nothing to do with Easter eggs and bunnies and candy, although those are fun and all, and it, it, it's fun to gather around family with food and, and have some fellowship and everything like that, but it's about the risen Lord. And I'm praying that uh, some of you will catch that this morning, that your perspective will change. And, and for some of you here today, you already, you're so excited. This is one of the most exciting uh, you know, days of the year for you. You, you get it. You understand. You, you're all giddy, like a kid in a candy store. You're like, oh, it's Easter. Oh, because you understand. It's eternal thing, what's happening here. Now, you know, others of you have no idea why you're here. You don't have any idea about what it's about, and, and we're going to share. You've already heard a little bit, but we're going to share some more with you about what this day is all about. And uh, so turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you need a fresh perspective. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you need a fresh perspective. Turn to your other neighbor and say, God's going to change your perspective. I'm confusing you. Which neighbor do I turn to? I don't know. We don't do this usually. Help me. Listen, God has a life-changing word for us this morning. You believe that? The reason, it's not because of anything I'm going to say, it's because His Word is going to be presented, and His Word does never returns void. It's life-changing. It is live and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's why we are steadfast in God's Word at this church. That's why we read the Bible verse by verse. We teach verse by verse. Our, our, our teachings are biblically based. We don't use the Bible as a launching pad to talk about something. Who knows how we'll ever wrap it all into life, but the reality is, is we use the Bible to help people change their lives because it is alive and active, and it's sharpening to its sword. It's God's Word to us. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 this morning. We have been in Sunday mornings going through for three years a series called the Follow Me series. It's the study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And uh, it just so happens that we arrive on this Sunday at Resurrection Sunday. We're standing before a tomb, Jesus' tomb, in the text. And uh, I just think that's interesting. I never planned it that way, but God has a, a way of doing these kind of things. So it's awesome that that's where we are today in our study. And soon we'll, we'll close this book out in the next probably three or four weeks. But we are right now at the tomb of Jesus Christ. Last week he was crucified he was buried, and here we find ourselves three days later on the first day of the week, Sunday, some 2,000 years ago, 
where we find our resurrected Christ. So John chapter 20, if you're with me, say amen. We're going to pick it up in verse 1 here. Listen to this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that someone had taken away, had been taken, saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, you have to understand, I want to give you a little bit of perspective from the disciples' standpoint. They have had a terrible weekend. I mean, a terrible weekend. Like a weekend that you probably may, if some of you have had some terrible weekends, and, and I'm not trying to downplay your circumstances, but these guys had a terrible weekend in the sense that the one who they were putting their hope in was crucified. He was killed. He was murdered. They had all their eggs in Jesus' basket, and all of a sudden, he is gone. Nowhere to be found. They watched him die upon a cross. He is buried in a tomb. His body is lifeless, and it lay there. They went from that, that moment on, all their hope was gone. We know this because the Bible tells us that. And in fact, even after the resurrection, we'll find next week, they're still unsure. But, but they're going to have a perspective change, which is going to change their perspective this morning. They are going to be found. They're going to find the one that they've been looking for. The one who they thought was lost. Their hope is still intact. They still have hope because Jesus Christ told them multiple times that he would rise again from the dead. And he is going to do just that. But these guys have no hope at this point. And what we find here is some ladies heading to the tomb. It's dark. It's the wee hours of the morning on Sunday morning, the third day. And it was Mary, uh, the mother of James, the less. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the steward of Herod Antipas. Salome, the mother of James and John. And there were probably some other women with them, but they were accompanying Mary Magdalene that early morning to the tomb, according to Mark 16.1 and Luke 24.10. But understand, they're not going there to find a risen Lord. They're going there to anoint the dead body of their Lord, of the one who they called Messiah. In fact, one gospel account says they have no idea how they're going to get into the tomb. But they're going. They have some expectation of somebody letting them in. Might I just suggest to you that God, in the midst of their going, is moving. He's doing something. God, in the midst of their going, is doing something. He's about to change their perspective by changing their perspective about Jesus' present condition. He was not in need of anointing of any ointment being on his dead body because he had risen from the dead. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. In my going, God is doing. In my going, God is doing. What do I mean? Have you ever had a strange feeling that you needed to go somewhere, you needed to be somewhere, and you don't know why, you just know you need to be there? And you go, and you're there, and all of a sudden you're met with what we call in the church, Christianese, as a divine appointment. What, what is that? That means that God, from the foundation of the world, ordained that feeling within you to have an urge to go do this so that he could meet with you or so that he could use you to meet with somebody else. It's called a divine appointment. You ever, ever had that before? We call it in the world a coincidence. There are no coincidences. You know, like when you're leaving your home and you thought, man, if I would have just left... 30 seconds earlier, I would have been in that accident or one of these kinds of things. It's that kind of an idea. But, but, but what you need to understand is that that stirring is from God. And when we go, He's about to do something. It's the Holy Spirit working inside of us. Listen, God is always at work. Proverbs 20, 24 says, A man's steps are from the Lord. How can man understand his way? Listen, you might be led to the grocery store to get some food, and God may have you pick up some spiritual food on the way. You might go to your work, and you might be thinking, hey, I'm going to get paid. God may have planted you there to get saved. God is at work. He is at work, and you're going. Every place that you put your foot is known by Him. 
was pre-known by him. And he is trying to intersect in your life to get you to look up, to realize that he's here, that he loves you, that he has a plan for your life. It's amazing how God works. The, the Bible says that God uses everything for his own purposes. Every single thing that we go through, God uses. He uses ordinary goings for extraordinary doings. That's the God that we serve. Listen, don't underestimate that urge to go. These ladies had an urge within their heart to go. They had no idea how they were going to get into that tomb, but they had an urge. That urge was from the Lord. God wanted them to go because he wanted to show them something amazing, that Jesus was not dead, but he was alive. We pick up the rest of the story in Matthew 28. The the words will be on the screen for you. You can flip there if you like. Matthew 28, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. It said this, now, after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Listen, while these ladies are on their way to this tomb, the earth starts to shake. It starts to quake. In their going, God is doing. He is doing something. The world isn't shaking because the stone needs to be removed, but because Jesus Christ is rising from the dead in those moments. That's why the earth was quaking. You you remember last week when Jesus died on the cross, what happened? There was a great earthquake, a great earthquake that, that cracked the temple in half, tore the the veil between the holy of holies and the holy place, opening up relationship with the fathers through the son, an earthquake. Here we find three days later, the world would say it was an aftershock. It was not an aftershock. This was Jesus Christ conquering sin and death as he rose again from the dead. It It was an ordained divine earthquake. God was stirring things up. Now notice that the angel came, and it was the angel, not the earthquake, that rolled the stone away. What you need to understand is the stone was rolled back, not so Jesus could get out, but so that his disciples could get in. Jesus Christ, his body was transformed as he rose again from the dead. He had the type of body that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we will be changed our bodies will be transformed into this, into this new body, this, this incredible body. You get an upgrade, I promise you. You're, you're going to be thinking like, wow, man, this is insane. I can walk through walls. Jesus walked through walls. He didn't need to be let out of the tomb. And contrary to popular belief, his body was not in the tomb when they came, you'll see, because he rose bodily. That's important for you to understand because as it works out for us, you know, in, in our prospective is the reality that we will one, one day rise again from the dead in this body and it will be changed and transformed. We will be like him in bodily form, transformed, and our bodies will be brilliant and awesome. It's going to be a great moment. But Jesus arose from the dead there. This angel comes down, rolls the stone back. He allowed that to happen so his disciples could get in so that he could change their prospective in this changing their perspective. According to John chapter 20, verse 2, immediately upon seeing the stone rolled away, Mary Magdalene takes off. She doesn't wait. She doesn't even hang out for the angel to show up. She's out of there, man. She's like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. They took, they took them and they took Jesus. They stole his body. She runs to Peter and she's telling them this. It says the guards that were there at the, the temple, they literally fell down paralyzed with fear. As they saw this angel, they were mortified. That's typically the response of what you see when someone in the Bible has an encounter with an angel. They're awesome. 
their their bodies are transformed. They are they are in the in the, they resemble the Shekinah glory of the Lord, brilliant and awesome and mighty in power. And here these guys fall at this angel's feet. Not only them, but the women as well. They were afraid. They didn't know what to think. They came to anoint the body of Jesus, and here they are in front of an angel. Luke 24, verses 5 through 8 says that there were two angels there at this point. And they said this to these women. They said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Listen to this. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the th- and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. Oh, yeah. Jesus said that. All of a sudden, things started to make sense when they remembered his word. They had a change in perspective immediately upon remembering his word. If you want a change in perspective in your situation, you need to look no further. Just look to his word. His word will give you the correct perspective. You don't have to wonder. Truth is not relative. It is absolute, and and he has written it down for you. Well, probably for me more than you because he knows I need it more than you do. But he's written it down for us so that we can believe in it. And notice it says that when they remembered the words of Jesus and they saw the empty tomb, they believed. And then something amazing happened. They saw Jesus. Matthew 28 verses 9 through 10 says, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You see, when, when we don't get to really see Jesus until we believe in Jesus. Like, you don't really get to see him in the same way that you see him when you believe in him. These women, they had a change in perspective, and as soon as they believed his word, they saw him. Some of you are looking for Jesus, and you're trying to find him, and he can only be found through his word. As you believe in his word, you will see him clearly. It's by faith. He will not appear to you until you exercise some faith in your life. And it's amazing that I I can tell you from personal experience, the level of faith I had to have in in, in my infancy stage was minute, was nothing. Is there anything in there? Is there any faith that I can see that I can work in? Because he is so anxious to work in our life. He so desires to want to reveal himself to us. But listen, the truth is concealed until you exercise faith and then it's revealed. That's the way it always works. Here we find, uh, you know, Jesus gives us the fastest method to spread the glorious news about his resurrection. It was not by telegraph. It was not by telephone. It was by telewoman. It's in the text. Nothing I can do about that. I'm called to divide the word of God rightly. And so he tells a woman. (laughs) That is funny. But uh, (laughs) anyway, Mark chapter 16 verse 7 points out something that I think is important. Here he says, here's what Jesus said. But go or here's what the angel said to, her, to them. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now these angels made a very clear distinction to go tell the disciples and Peter. Why is that important? Why am I pointing this out? Because the Holy Spirit feels like it's so important that you and I need to hear it that he wrote it that way. That's why. Well, what's the big deal? Why, why Peter? Why is he singled out? Well, you remember just... A night and a half or two and a half nights ago, he denied Jesus. He denied him three times. No, I don't know him. I don't know him at all. Get away from me. I don't know him. And yet, here we find these angels who were messengers from God. This is a message from God to Peter. Go tell Peter. Make sure you let Peter know that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, what you have to understand about the denial of, Je- of, of Jesus for Peter is that's something he lived with the rest of his life. In fact, oftentimes when Peter would get up and he would stand in a pulpit, 
before the people. There would be hecklers in the back of the crowd. No joke. That would go, cock-a-doodle-doo. Cock-a-doodle-doo. And yet he never forsook his call. He stood in a pulpit. He stood before the people. He proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ because he is not identified by his mistakes. Some of you guys need to hear that this morning. You are not identified by your mistakes. You, that isn't who you are. You are who Christ made you to be in his risen glory. You, don't let your past hold you down. Stand firm in your faith. Glorify him. Proclaim his name. And don't worry about the hecklers. Do what the Lord calls you to do. He wanted Peter to know that he loved him, that he cares for him, and that he will restore him. And, and we'll see that in a couple weeks, Peter being restored. In the meantime, these ladies take off and they're going to go tell the disciples and all. And at the same time, these soldiers take off and they, according to Matthew 28, 11 through 15, go to the chief priests and they tell them what happened. Hey, this angel showed up and these women showed up and then this angel showed up and then Jesus showed up. It was crazy. And the, and the chief priests are like, no, no, that's not how it happened. Here, here's some money and this is how it happened. The disciples showed up. They wrestled you. You trained, you know, just ruthless Roman soldiers to the ground. They rolled the stone away and they took his body. That's what happened. Are you kidding me? That's the, that's the story. And so that's what they went with and that's what they spread. They were paid because there was no other explanation. It was a divine moment and yet man, even the religious leaders would deny it, would deny God's hand at work. Back to John chapter 20, verse 2, it says, So she, Mary Magdalene, ran and went and told Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. This is hilarious. This is like locker room banter right here for dudes. Because you know who's writing this? The disciple that outran Peter, he's writing this. And you know when he's writing this? Long after Peter's gone. In fact, he's writing this way after Peter's gone. He's like, Peter can't say anything about this. Dude, I outran you, man. I beat you to the tomb. It's in the text. I'm sorry. It's funny. But back to verse 5, he says, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they, had not uh, they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now, so John gets to the, to the tomb first. Different people, different perspectives. Why are they going? They're going because they heard that Jesus' body had been taken. They're running to the tomb. What are they going to do? They have no idea, but they're going because they want to know what happened to Jesus' body. They have no clue. They have no expectation of the risen Christ. They're going to see if they can find out where somebody had laid his Body. And John gets there first. He stoops down and he looks inside and he sees the linen cloths laying there, kind of wrapped like, just like a body in the same form there, and yet he didn't go in. And you know the feeling. What's going on here? I don't understand this. What? Why? Huh? What? I don't get it. But he didn't go in. He didn't, he didn't get it. But he didn't go in. He didn't, he didn't investigate it any further. He stood outside the tomb and he just peered in and he turned away. I don't understand. That's people with the gospel. People don't understand it. They hear it. They wonder. But then they turn away from it. They don't get it because they're not stepping into it. If you're taking notes, write this down. Entering is required to get the inside scoop. Entering is required to get the inside scoop. If you want to know God, 
If you want to know if his son is true, you've got to take a step inside the tomb, folks. You cannot see him from the outside. You've got to step inside. You've got to look. You've got to change your perspective. You've got to understand it from the inside. And he will reveal it to you. Peter, totally different story. This dude blazes. He, he's just all in Peter, man. He just runs right into the tomb there. And he, he, he goes in and he looks at these linen cloths. Now, here's what I want you to hear. This is so important. The word saw is used three times. It's three different words in the Greek. When John saw the first time, it was, a, it was kind of a, I don't get it kind of seeing. Like he observed but did nothing. The kind of seeing that Peter did when he went inside the tomb... The word literally means he scrutinized it. He investigated it. He looked at the claws. He, he wondered, how could this be? He began to wonder. He, he let the facts speak for themselves. Listen, some people, they are, they, they are kind of, you know, their belief system is based on somebody else's trip to the tomb. And so they have never, ever gone themselves. They have no idea what, they've never really investigated it. They've never really, and their eternal life is on, at stake over somebody else's understanding of what this, what this book says. I'm sorry, that's irresponsible when you're talking about eternal life. That is irresponsible to base your beliefs on what somebody else said. You get in the tomb and you look for yourself. Get inside that thing. Peter ran in, he investigated, and he was blown away. In fact, he came to the conclusion in the tomb as he saw the, the linen claws, he investigated him. Listen, the, the anointment that was put on Jesus' body it was like super glue to those claws. They were super glued together. There was no, there was no um, you know, I, I can't think of the word, but the claws weren't cut. The, the, you know, they were, there was... I can't think of the word, but there were, you know, the claws were exactly identical to being wrapped in the body of Christ. And, and Peter saw that, and he said, how in the world did he get out of that? No way someone helped him. He had to have just risen right out of them, and that's exactly what he did. Listen, the, the, the face cloth that was there, that shroud, <laughs> I don't think is true, but his face cloth that wrapped his face up was neatly put away somewhere else. How did that happen when the, these are fully intact, the, the, that wrap his body, and somehow his face, but his body's not there? The only logical, listen, the only logical conclusion is that Jesus Christ rose out of the, out of the, the claws just like he said he would, just like he said he would. Some of you think that God wants us to have blind faith, like we just step out and do whatever we think, and we're saying, I'm trusting you, God. Well, no, I didn't say step in front of a bus. I mean, that, that's not trust. That's stupidity. That's not what he's asking you to do. He's asking you to have faith that is based on facts. God interceded on your behalf long before you ever knew who he was, and he gave you some facts. And he said, investigate them, and you'll see that it's true. But you will have to exercise faith. You're going to have to exercise some faith, but it's not blind faith. It's the kind of faith that's based on facts. That is the reality. Peter stepped in. He saw the facts, and he believed. But here's what's, what's even more interesting. Is that when John was standing outside the tomb, and he watched Peter begin to marvel at what he's seen. Oh my, whoa. You know, he's like, whoa, this is crazy. He had to raise from the dead. I don't, I mean, that, that's what it looks like. And his faith, Peter's faith, I believe inspired John's faith. Just like your faith inspires somebody else's faith. You ever been around somebody that has a lot of faith? And you're just like, dude, I feel like I could, Beat anybody up in the world right now because I'm around you. Because your faith is so great. 
You know how it is. You're around somebody and they're just so on fire for God and you're just like, man, I feel like I could conquer the world right now because their faith inspires you. Because you know you got the same source they do. John saw Peter in his faith and he said, dude, I'm stepping in. And when he went inside and then he saw, that's the third Greek word there, when he saw, literally, it's, it's the kind of scene that says it, it means to become visible, to appear. When John stepped into the tomb by faith, all of a sudden, the blinders were off and it all made sense. And he believed. And he believed. That's how it works, folks. I know for, for me, t- for 24 years, God had been inserting people in my life that were telling me about Jesus, that were telling me about his crucifixion on a cross, that he bled for me, that he rose again from the dead for me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. But my faith was in me and being a good person and thinking, oh, yeah, well, that's the way we get to heaven, right? Just being a good person. No, it's not. It's not. You have to exercise faith and believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That's how you get into heaven. And that's what God wants. You've got to believe in Jesus. And as I look back in my life, I can see God inserting people in my life, just giving me all the information I need for that moment when I would finally surrender my heart to him. There was no one around at that point, by the way. It was midnight in the bedroom of my own home. No pastor, no worship team, no emotional pull, just saying, Lord, I need you. God, I believe the facts that you've inserted in my life, and I'm receiving that. And let me tell you something, my life radically changed. I was a different person. That's what happens when you have an encounter with God. And, and every one of these disciples after the resurrection, they are different people. They are entirely different people. Peter no longer is the one that would deny Christ, but he would say, no, no, crucify me upside down. He would have the boldness of a lion to go anywhere and share the gospel. You know, doubting Thomas? Oh, I'm not going to believe anything till you show me his wounds so I can put my hands in them. You know, Thomas went to India and he shared the gospel relentlessly until he was crucified, until he was, he was killed as well. He was martyred for his faith. Where's the doubt? He had no doubt because the facts spoke for themselves. He had faith. He believed. And faith is, is believing what you haven't truly ever been able to see, that you haven't experienced. He walked by faith the rest of his life, man. And he gave his life up for Christ. John came to this point where he saw, his eyes were opened to the reality, just like Peter's. Could you imagine that moment? They went home rejoicing, man. They were so excited because they now knew that Jesus Christ was truly the Lord of their life and the Lord over all. What an amazing truth to come to the realization of. Back to Mary Magdalene. Look at her. Her, she's having a whole different experience here. Peter and John, they take off. Mary, back to verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she, was, as she wept, she stood. She stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there, uh, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. No one has let her in on the secret yet. She has not had an encounter with anyone that knows the truth yet. It's amazing. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus stand, or actually, verse 13, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And he says, she said, they have taken away the Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said that he had said these things to her. Like John, when Mary came to the tomb, it says that she stayed outside. She couldn't bear the thought of entering into this place where the body of the one that she loved so dearly lay there lifeless. She was overwhelmed with grief. This was her rabbi, her Lord. She's weeping all alone at this tomb. Somehow she peered into the tomb as she was stooping and she she sees two angels sitting there. One at the head of where Jesus' Jesus' head would have been and one at the feet of where Jesus' feet would have been. His body was gone. The cloths were there. And she's like, what? What What is that? It was an incredible picture that God painted only for her. It was only for her. What you need to understand is God is a personal God, and he reveals himself in personal ways that only you'll understand. Sometimes it's completely, you know, our testimonies, the way that we came to Christ are different. God reveals himself differently, and here he knows what she needs to see. She knows what she needs to hear. What does he do? He gives her an incredible picture of something that she was very familiar with but had never seen before. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a, a wooden box laid in gold that had two angels with their wings spread face down towards what, the middle of this little seat on the box called the mercy seat. It was put inside the temple in a veiled room where only one person could go one time a year. And that was where they would meet God on that little place called the mercy seat as these angels would peer down upon that little spot. And the the high priest once a year on what's called the Day of Atonement would take the sacrifice, the blood of of, of a perfect lamb. He would take that blood in there and he would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat seven times. The number seven in Hebrew is the number of completion. Seven times that blood was sprinkled upon the mercy seat so that the people's sins could be atoned for. Now here's what's interesting. The high priest, he only came out alive if that, sin was, if that blood was able to atone for the sinner. If, it, if, there, if there was a problem with it, if the people weren't repentive, if he, if he wasn't repentive, if he wasn't right with God, he would go in there and he would die. And it's been said that they would t- tie bells to the bottom of his robe so they could hear him moving just to make sure he was still alive. A rope around his waist that they would pull him out if he was dead. No one could go in that room. Could you imagine the anxiety of wondering if your sins are going to be covered? As you're sitting outside the temple wondering if the high priest will come out. But here's what you need to know. Is if he lived, the sacrifice was accepted. Now this is an incredible picture. First and foremost, Jesus Christ is our lamb who takes away our sins. That blood that was presented by the high priest to the mercy seat is the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know where he bled? From seven places. From seven places. The the, the sign of perfection. He bled from his head for our thoughts. From his hands for our deeds. From his back for our rebellion. From his side for our bitterness. From his feet for our willful transgressing. His blood upon the mercy seat. Seven times perfection for you and I. He bled for you in perfection. Well, how do we know that his sacrifice was sufficient? I've heard it said that the resurrection is the the reality of, of his sacrifice being accepted. Do you know why? Because not only is he 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but he's also our high priest who met with God upon that mercy seat, who put his own blood there, and he came out alive. And when he came out alive, it was a declaration to the world that his blood is sufficient to cover all sin for every single person who puts their faith in him. What an amazing picture that Mary was able to see. She was weeping, she was crying, and yet she sees this familiar picture, and she, in a moment, just turns away. And all of a sudden, she's met there by Jesus. She thinks he's a gardener. She's upset. She can't. And and Jesus will appear to other people, and they won't know who he is either. I don't know how that works. But he can appear to him, make himself appear when he wants to. But in this moment, she thinks he's a gardener. And he says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? He busted a rhyme right there. It's Jesus rapping. She laid hold, she, 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 when, she, when she heard that, she laid hold of him. The idea is she grabbed his shirt and she held on to him and said, if you know where he is, you tell me. She didn't think it was Jesus. Whoa, <laughs> that's Jesus. I don't think I'd grab him like that, but she didn't know. She was ready to rumble with this dude because she wanted to know where Jesus was. Where have they taken him? Whoever they is, I want to know who they are because I want his body. This is the kind of fierce love that this lady had for Jesus. She would wrestle a man to the ground and UFC this dude to get the information from him if she had to. And in that moment, it's amazing. Jesus, I don't know if he was like, whoa, Mary, or if he was more like Mary, or how he said it, but he said, Mary. The moment he heard her voice, his voice, the same familiar voice that he had heard before, Mary. Mary, it's me. Immediately she snapped to, Rabboni, it's you. Oh, Lord. And she grabbed onto him and she said, oh, 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 oh. you can't hold me down. She would tie him down. She, he, he had, she had the death grip on him already once. He's like, I better get loose of you or I'll never be able to ascend to my father. But, but he, he said that because he was going away and he wanted her to know that he wasn't here to stay, but he is alive and well. And in that moment, man, she was rejoicing. She was rejoicing. What do we learn from Mary? The kind of perspective that she had when she went in was not a believing perspective. She wasn't waiting for the risen Christ. She was looking for the dead body of Jesus. And yet in a moment's notice, her perspective changed. But here's what you need, you need to know why. The reason her perspective changed is because she never stopped seeking. She never stopped seeking. She was seeking the whole time. If you're taking notes, the last point is seeking is the only way to be found. Seeking is the only way to be found. If you are seeking God, you'll find him. It's a promise in the Bible. He told us, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I will be found by you. She was seeking Jesus that moment. She wanted to know where Jesus was. And in her seeking, she found him. You know, she, she, her YouTube, ex, YouTube experience was over. She had now found what she was looking for. She was looking for the dead Jesus, but he had been risen from life. He is back to life again. And the Bible says the same for you. If you're a seeker, you're trying, and I don't use that in the modern terminology of seeker. I'm talking about if you really want to know God, if you really want to know him, if you have a sincere heart to know God, you're going to know him because he's going to reveal himself to you because it's a promise in the Bible. Listen, God isn't after people. God is after every person, but he is not going to reveal himself to people who are not genuinely seeking him. You know, when Herod, when he appeared before Herod, Herod said, hey, show me some tricks, Jesus. That's the kind of seeking our culture does. You show me some miracles, Jesus. Just be there when I need you to be there, but otherwise step out of my life. That's not the kind of Savior he is. He's the kind of Savior that says, I need to be not only in your life, I need to be in control of it. I need to, be, I need to have the keys. I need to be the one that's instructing you. I need you to be obedient to my voice. I need you to do what I'm telling you to do, not you telling me what to do. He says, 
that to us this morning. Listen, if you're seeking, He sees and He knows. And more importantly, He wants you to know that He knows your name. He knew her name. He knows your name. He's calling you by name. In your seeking, He's saying, come to me, so and so. I love you. Just keep coming. Keep seeking. I, here I am. I'm right here. And then you keep taking those steps. In that moment when she heard his voice, she said, Rabboni, she believed. And her, the scale again fell from her eyes. She saw Jesus for who he is, the risen Christ. What an amazing picture. And it says that she went away rejoicing. She was so happy that she had found what she was looking for in her seeking. Here we have several different perspectives of several different kinds of people coming to the same place and being met by God in different ways. I can't help but to think that's the same experience we're having here today, some 2,000 years ago. Some of you are here because you believe already. You're, you're the Peter, man. You ran right into the tomb. You did your investigation, and you're like, I believe where are you, Lord? I believe, and, and he's, he's already revealed himself, and you're just on fire for the Lord, and you love coming to, to Resurrection Sunday because you get to rejoice. Not, we can rejoice every day, obviously, but this is the time period where we gather together as a group, and we say, yay, Jesus. Thank you for rising. Did we say yay? I'm not sure if that's the case, but hallelujah, Jesus, right? That you rose from the dead. Some of you are there. You're excited about God. You can't wait for God to put somebody else in your life so you can tell them about what Jesus has done in your life. You're on fire for the Lord. You, you were ecstatic over him, but not everybody's there. Some people have come here this morning and they're just, it's just another Easter. It's just another day. It's just another time that I get to gather around all the family that I don't like and, you know, eat food that, you know, people make, which I appreciate, and then... I go home and I, it's just another day in the week for me. You might even be a believer and be that way. Can I tell you that those who saw Jesus at this tomb were never the same? They were never the same. They never went backwards. They never stopped rejoicing over what Jesus has done. And somebody here today is not rejoicing and you're gloomy and God wants to pick you up and he wants to tell you, hey, Look up. The tomb is empty. Remember what I've done for you. Yeah, but you don't understand all the things going on in my life. I don't. But he does. And he's at work. And he's working in your life right now. Grab hold of him just like these women did, just like Mary did. Hold on to him and watch him push you through. He's going to encourage you. He's going to inspire you. He's going to build your faith up. That's what he's trying to do. Rest in him. Some of you are here because somebody else asked you to be here. And you're thinking, well, I'll go, I guess. But you came with no expectations at all to see anything. You don't know what you believe. You, you don't know about this empty tomb thing. You've never really stepped into it for yourself. You're having an experience about something that somebody else has told you about that is personal that you can have for yourself. And God wants to say to you this morning, you've got to step in you got to come inside the tomb. you got to come check it out for yourself. We can't, we can't believe what we believe based on what somebody else believes, right? I mean, that's ridiculous. That, that, that's not smart. we got to step in and investigate these linens on the, on the ground. we got to look for ourselves. Is Jesus everything he said he was or is he not? And come to that conclusion on your own because you've done your, your own research. Listen, I... I can only tell you that there are people that have done that and they've come to the conclusion that Jesus is everything that he says he was and more. I'm one of those people. Everything that Jesus Christ said he was, he has been to me. Always. He has never failed me. He's there for me. He is working in my life. He puts up with me, man. He forgives me. He encourages me. He, he, he allows me the privilege to be able to be used by him. Listen, I'm in a relationship with Jesus, and it's awesome. Some of you are missing that. You're having a religious experience based on what somebody else has said, and you've got to step in the tomb this morning. 
And you've got to look for yourself. Is Jesus the Christ or not? Here's what Jesus said to those standing outside the tomb of Lazarus. He said in John eleven twenty five through 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's a question. It's a question for you this morning. As much as it was a question for all of those who were standing before the tomb of Lazarus that day. And oh, by the way, Jesus went ahead and rose Lazarus from the dead right after he said that. But he needs you to exercise faith this morning and believe in him. And when you do, you will see him like you've never seen him before. Amen? He is risen, folks. And he wants you to know this morning that not only is it victory for him, but it's victory for you. The resurrected king resurrects you and I as we put faith in him. The worship team's going to come up. We're going to close with a chorus. But I want you to think about this for a minute. That the Bible says that we were all born in the flesh, but we were born dead. We're literally spiritually stillborn when we're born in the world. We have no, you know, we don't seek God. We don't seek anything about Him. We, 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 we sin against Him immediately because that's our nature. It's in our DNA. Nothing we can do about that. Thankful, you know, our, our, our parents, Adam and Eve, pass that, that, D, that down through our DNA. And so that's who we are. We're sinners. But God knew that. And He knew that we were dead. And He wanted to give us life. And that's why the Bible says that He sent His Son Listen, the Bible says, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. But this is the even better thing. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That's God's heart for you. That's God's heart for me. And so as we close in this course, I just want you to think about that and think about the fact that by faith, you can be made alive this morning. God can resurrect you from the dead. And you can know that you know that you know that you know that you are right with Him, that your sins are forgiven, and that you're going to be in eternity with Him. When you see Him face to face, He will not be your judge. He will be your Savior. And He will say, enter into your rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so this morning, I just want us all to just reflect for a moment on the resurrected king and what he's done for us. And so let's just sing that for a minute and I'll come back and close us out. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.